Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We're continuing. Uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, uh, there's a series right now uh, the church is in called Supporting Cast. And it's looking at kind of like those uh, individuals in the scripture that weren't necessarily the, the main star, but they had a role in how God used them in different ways. And this morning, uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. For many of you, those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, this is going to be a very familiar story. But Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And uh, the, the person we're looking at this morning is not Paul, but it's going to be Ananias. Okay? Uh, and the role he played in Paul's life. All right, so, so we're going to, uh, uh, verse 1, we're going to start there and just uh, start walking through the story here and see how far we get, okay? Okay, so uh, verse 1, uh, uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, uh, threats to murder, you know, against the Lord's disciples. Yeah, the, the, the image here is that Paul's is uh, Saul is pretty much like out of control almost. He's so filled with rage against this, this movement uh, that's threatening Judaism. And, and uh, he is just out to kill them and to crush this movement. And so much so that he goes to the high priest and asks him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Uh, so that he might, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he is so moved he's like this pit bull now for the sanhedrin for the religious leaders that he's actually going international after uh, followers of jesus and you all know the story he's near damascus on his journey uh, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him he falls to the ground hears a voice say to him saul why are you persecuting me and he asked this question that just rocked his world he's you know who are you lord and the answer i am jesus who you are persecuting Okay, and then Jesus says to him, now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now get up and go, and I'll tell you later what you're going to do. And in this moment, Paul, just, he shifts from, from hating Jesus to now receiving instruction from him. And this is his first steps, his baby steps of being a follower. Go into the city and wait there. I'll talk to you later. Okay. And, of course, you know, he gets up to the ground, and he opens his eyes, but he can't see anything, so he's blind. He has to be led by hand to Damascus, and he's there for three days in that situation. Now, in the meantime, um, dropping down, in Damascus, I think it's about verse 10 or so, uh, in Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. Um, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answers. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and asked for a man named Tarsus, named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore sight. And Ananias is like, Lord, you haven't been keeping up with the news here. <laughs> I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And all he has come to, and how he has come here with the authority of the chief, chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Lord, this is the guy we're trying to hide from. This is the guy we're trying to avoid. And you're wanting me to go to him. You don't know the destruction and the, and the harm that he's bringing to your people. And you want me to go to him. But the Lord says to Ananias, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument 
to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Okay, he's come to arrest everybody who called on the name of Jesus. And yet God's plan for him is you're going to proclaim the name of Jesus to Gentiles. You know, you're a Pharisee. You have nothing to do with Gentiles. Uh, you have nothing, you know, you're, you're all tied up in Jewish culture and history and religion. And that's all you, you know, all this, uh, you, you'd be perfect to be the apostle to the Jews. But the Lord says, we're not going to use you there. I'm going to make you the apostles to the one that you've been avoiding all your life, the Gentiles. When you take spiritual gifts, gifts tests and they tell you what, where you're most suited to be and so on, that's good. It's good. But be listening to the Lord. He might just say, you know what, we're not going to use you in that place where you feel comfortable and skilled. I'm going to use you in a place where you just have to depend on me. Okay, don't, don't rule that out as you think about serving the Lord. So anyway, okay, that, that sidebar, that was free, okay? Um, <laughs> So, so um, this is going, and, and here's the thing I want you to catch, because this is uh, reflecting one of the songs he sang this morning. He said, I come to arrest all who call my name. And he says, uh, you know, God says, but you're going to go, and he's going to proclaim my name. He's going to suffer for my name. Do you notice it's just striking how central and how important the name of the Lord was in the early church? You know, you read those first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, and it is like the central issue time and time again, the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, here, we, here just in this way, we have the name mentioned three times. God wants the name of Jesus proclaimed because in his name there's salvation, there's healing, there's deliverance. Now, Paul, he's come to arrest uh, everyone who calls on the name. And that's because Satan hates the name of Jesus. And he's going to stir up opposition against it. And Jesus told us this in Luke 21. He says, everyone will hate you because of my name. Now, if you have the NIV, it says, everybody will hate you because of me. But that's not what the Greek text says. The Greek text says, diata anamamu, which means on account of my name, they will hate you. The name is the issue. The name has the hatred tied to it. The demons hate the name of Jesus. Demons hate his name because it's the source of the salvation and it's the source of healing and deliverance. And that name's lifted high over them. Satan hates the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is going to receive what he wants. Philippians 2, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Satan wanted. And that's what he's going to be denied. And so he hates the name of Jesus. And there's authority. The name of Jesus has authority over the demonic realm. Um, two weeks ago, uh, we were talking with a, a person who, um, about just, uh, about, we were talking with a person, and this person had about two years ago, um, in a service that we were at, uh, they manifested a demonic presence. They're falling on the floor. They're speaking in a voice that's not their own. They're rolling, you know, just kind of full-blown manifestation of, of a demonic oppression, a presence, and so on. And so we, we did a deliverance thing. A, a group of us got around and, and did that, and, and, you know, in Jesus' name come out, that kind of stuff. And, and um, as we met just a couple weeks ago, just kind of, uh, we've been friends ever since. They've been, you know, they're in, they're in uh, uh, church. They love God, all that kind of thing. Um, but as we're talking, I, we asked, you know, well, 
what was, you know, when you were experiencing that, what was going on in you? And she's, it's like uh, they said that uh, I couldn't speak myself, but I, I was aware of these, like, entities and, and how they were responding and feeling as that was going on. And they said that, uh, this individual said that whenever you invoke the name of Jesus, the panic level of the, of the, the spirits just rose and the, the grip was weakened. You know, it's very subjective kind of, of, ex, of experience in, in saying that, but that, that this individual could feel that, the power, the authority of the name of Jesus. Whenever we're in ministry, use the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. Mm. Satan hates the name because he knows that's the name above all names. And the Father wants the name proclaimed. And the Father said that whatever you ask, Jesus said this, and whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He said, you haven't asked anything in my name up to this point, but ask in my name and your joy will be made complete. We have all these promises, big, blanket, wide, huge, open-armed promises. Use the name of Jesus and you can ask for anything. Um, God has just given us this marvelous privilege Heaven worships the name, hell fears it, and the Father says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. It's the source of miracles. When, uh, when uh, Peter and John went to the temple, there's the lame guy there. He's asked for money, and Paul, Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Paul and, and Silas, are, are, I think it's in Philippi, they're walking down the street and there's a demonized gal behind them shouting out stuff and Paul turns around, in Jesus' name, come out of her. Miracles happen in the name of Jesus. And these miracles don't happen uh, just by the name of a generic God or a different religious leader. They happen by the name of Jesus Christ. There's salvation in his name alone. Um, you know, he, he didn't come and die on the cross just for the western half of the world, just for the western hemisphere. You know, the east has their religions and we have our religion. No, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus came and died for the sins of the world. Um, and every person needs a savior because every person has a sin problem. All right? All have sinned and fallen short. And while the world's religions contain ethics and practices that can result in good behavior, we need something different. Our sin problem is a heart problem. It's like Brian last week was, when he was preaching, he talked about uh, our goodness does not make us good. God makes us good. And it's through the work of the cross where Jesus takes our sins from us. Jesus said our sin problem is a heart problem, and we need a new heart. And that's why Jesus said we must be born again. And across this room, there might be some people here this morning, you've never had the experience of being born again. You've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident this morning. God has you here to hear his love for you, his call to you, that you would open your heart. You'd experience the, the transforming work of Jesus Christ in your life. And just say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I want to be born again. I want that new life that this guy's talking about. Okay? Don't leave today without, without, uh, without experiencing that. Uh, sal- the Bible says salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. No other name. There's power in his name. And the Father will do whatever we ask in his name. Now, there might be, you know, sometimes answers don't come quickly when we pray in Jesus' name. That's why Jesus told us in Luke 18, 1, we should always pray and never give up. 
and sometimes there's resistance to the answers. That's Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, it talks about how he prayed and there was no answer. There was nothing. It's a silence for days and days. And then, then suddenly an angel shows up and says, hey, God answered your prayer on the very moment you prayed it. But there's been you know, satanic resistance against it. So there could be resistance. Uh, it could be that we have to persevere like Elijah when he prayed for the rain to be released. Um, uh, and uh, he sent a servant up to the mountaintop to, to check and see if there was any uh, rain clouds in the sky. And it was just blue sky, not a cloud in sight. And so he comes back down. He, Elijah prays again, sends his guy back up again, goes back and forth, back and forth. All they're seeing is, is empty skies. And finally, the seventh time he goes up, and he says, hey, there's a cloud the size of a fist. And Elijah's like, hallelujah, God answers prayer. And the rains come. So we might have to persevere. But the name of Jesus will prevail. The Father, all heaven is in back of that name. And when he says, you can ask anything in my name, he means it. And so let's expand our faith and, and hold on to that. Okay, let's, let's, let's get back to, uh, I, I really took a rabbit trail there. <laughs> right, let's get back to Ananias here. So Ananias uh, obeys the Lord. He says that uh, he goes to the house and he enters it. Okay, that's a gutsy move. That's a gutsy move. Because, you know, he's, he's walking out on uh, really just on, um, you know, I think God talked to me. I think the Lord showed me this in a vision. Um, you know, it's a little bit flimsy feeling, but I'm going to go forward. I'm, I'm going to trust that the Lord has spoken to me. I'm going to go forward. So there's this trait in Ananias of courage. Uh, you know, that he's, he's, it's not that he's fearless, but he's not going to let his fears dictate his actions. And uh, we said this this morning, that uh, we don't reduce our lives to accommodate our fears. Don't reduce our lives to accommodate our fears. Instead, uh, we look to him, we put our trust in him, and we go forward, and we go forward. So it says in scriptures here that, that he places his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me, Jesus sent me to you. That's how much he cares about you. He sent me to you that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from, from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and had some food and, and goes forward from there. Okay. And, and at this point, Ananias kind of disappears from the scene. He's just a guy, just a, a follower of Jesus that was staying responsive to the Lord, that was willing to step out. You know, the Lord knew his heart. He's willing to step out and be used. He wants to be used and so on. The Lord speaks to him and uses him in this moment. Um, two months ago, three months ago, we, we, the situation kind of like this because here's a person who has a need. Here's a person who's responsive and how the Lord brought them together. Um, uh, many of you know that we, we, we have a, a ministry school that we, we're part of. And about three months ago, there some, of the, some of the students were coming together um, to go do some ministry publicly. They, you know, they go to some stores and, and, and to kind of reach out to people. And as they gathered together um, uh, before going out, uh, they, they were praying, just asking, Lord, will you guide us? Uh, uh, where do you want us to go? You know, just trying to get a sense of, of how to proceed and go forward. And one of them had this image or this, this sense that of, of, a, of a name of a particular store. They were either in Metro Center or Northwoods Mall. I'm not sure, somewhere over there. Um, but they had a sense of, uh, let's go to this store. And, and another one had a, a, a sense that um, 
the situation there's going to be such it'll be easy to talk to, to somebody. And another, another image or impression they had was that there's somebody there who's been crying out to God. Okay? And so uh, the team goes out, and they, they, they make their way to that store. And sure enough, it's such that there's nobody else in the store but one clerk. And, and so they go up to, to this individual, and they say, hey, um, we're just out. We're just... We're, we're with this ministry school, and we're just out praying for people. Is there anything we can pray for you about? That kind of thing. And this person just breaks down. She just breaks down in tears and just uh, sobbing and sorrow. And they're around her. They're hugging her. You know, just, just talking with her. And the story just comes out. She says, I, uh, I just moved here recently. I'm so lonely. And my family's away. And I'm all by myself. And it's been such despair. And I was just crying out today, God, do you even see me? God, do you even hear my prayers? And here you are right now ministering to me. See, I, I think the Father is speaking a lot more than we realize. I think God is speaking a lot more than we realize. And, and that's, you know, recent years, just, just the rest of my life, I just want to live in a, a place where I am listening and trying to understand what he's saying for each moment and, and, and having that kind of antenna up and that intentionality of trying to hear, God, what are you saying in this moment? God, let me see this person through your eyes. Lord, help me to, you know, show me what to do here, that kind of thing. That's a privilege we have as believers. And so let's, let's move into that more and more. Um, so, in this story here, we have this incredible transition here of, of Paul going from hatred to being God's chosen instrument, okay? And there's something, when you sit and just read the story of, of Paul's trans, transformation, um, there's something that just moves us deep inside. There's something about, you know, and I'll get back to Ananias in a moment, but there's just something about these stories of transformation that just grip us. And, and you know, it's all, in human culture, it's, you, um, you know, our fairy tales, our favorite books, our favorite movies, oftentimes we'll have at the core this idea of someone changing and being transformed. You know, you have Cinderella becoming the queen. You have the ugly duckling becoming a swan. Hmm? You have Scrooge, you know, a mean old Scrooge becoming a generous, kind man. The, these stories uh, are oftentimes at the heart of, of, uh, of what we read in our fairy tales and so on. You know, the, the cowardly lion gets a, uh, gets a heart and, and um, uh, the scarecrow gets his brains. <laughs> um, see, the thing is, is that they, these were all people or, you know, that were more than they appeared, that there was a, a greatness that was hidden or a greatness that was going to be unfolded in them in some fashion. And they responded to that, and they, they rise up and go forth as a new person, a transformed person. You know, we have Aragorn becoming the king, and we have hobbits become warriors, and, and Simba becomes the Lion King, right? And, and um, Rocky becomes the champ. These are the kinds of stories that, that, that move us, because in hope beyond hope, uh, they, they're all transformed to the very things they longed to be but they never saw any hope of ever becoming that. And, you know, all these stories just turn on that kind of transformation. And, you know, why is it an essential part of any great story? It's because um, this is the secret to Christianity. 
And Christianity is the secret to the universe. That you must be born again. That there's a God who will transform us into something more than we are. That there's a, a, a greatness that's hidden within us. Each one of us uh, is created in the image of God. And when we minister to people, we always say, look, uh, don't, don't look for the dirt in their life. The, 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 you know, it's like a gold mine. You're going, you're going uh, treasure hunting, okay? So ignore the dirt and the rocks and the debris in their life, but look for the gold. Uh, they are created in the image of God. There is gold in there. And that's what our Father does. He wants to call the gold out of us. That we become more than we really are. Um, the most important question in life is, who is God? But the second most important question in life is, who does God say I am? J.I. Packer said, he, he, he summarized the gospel saying that the gospel is adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. The Bible says that, that uh, it's not that we first loved God, but he first loved us. And um, he first loved us, and, um, and he sent his son. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody was whispering over there. Thank you. Help the guy out. He's sweating up here, man. Okay. And he sent his son uh, to, uh, what's, uh, to be a propitiation for our sins. We made it. <laughs> That, that he loved us, sent his son to be a propitiation for sins, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's what J.I. Packers is referring to, that through Jesus' death on the cross, where he takes our sins, he pays the price for our sins, he then opens the doors, not that we're just saved, not just that our sins are forgiven, but to be adopted by the king of the universe. That's what we are. We are adopted by the king of the universe. If a king adopts you, you are now royalty. You are now royal. And the scriptures talk about that. That the God wants to adopt you. He wants to be your father. We're, we, see, we're not, you're not born into this world as a child of God. You know, popular cultures say that everybody's a child of God. That's not true. That's not the scriptures. You're born in this world as a child of Adam and Eve. You have to be born again to become a child of God. As many as received him, to them they were given the right to become children of God. You have to be, receive Christ and his sacrifice for you to become a child of God. And, and this, the mystery of the gospel is that God wants to be your father. He doesn't want to just be your God. He wants to be your father. He wants to adopt you. Um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. Okay, don't get hung up on the gender stuff there. This is not really talking about you know, men versus women, like your sonship and women are left out. Because this is a pos sonship speaking about a position of privilege. And the scriptures are clear. It's both men and women, okay? So, ladies, if you don't get hung up on being a son, we won't get hung up on being the bride of Christ, all right? <laughs> all right. And so, adoption to sonship. And, and, you know, he loved us first before we responded to him, before we were moved to him. He loved us first. The picture is, you know, the scriptures make it clear that before we know Christ, we're like orphans uh, just wandering the world without background, without family, without uh, connection, without identity, okay, on just on our own. But the picture here in scripture where several times it talks about the adoption that God has for us. The picture is of the father walking into an orphanage and looking around and then seeing you. 
and you and all your rebellion and all your messiness and uh, wrecked life and so on. He says, that's the one I want. I choose that one. I choose her. I choose him. And for every one of us, his love and his um, you know, immensity as God is able to, to zero that in just on you, that he treasures you. He values you. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. And it's just not saving you, but now it's adopting you. It's the whole picture Jesus had of, of, the, of the father uh, of the prodigal son that he comes out and doesn't just receive a son. He then puts a robe on him and a ring and just you know, signifying authority and place in the family. And there's a big celebration and all that. So he comes looking for us. Other religions say, come to us and, we'll, and, and you'll find God. But the true God, the living God, the God of the Bible, is the God who comes to find us. Okay? Uh, he comes to seek and save the lost. He comes looking for you. And, you know, getting um, salvation, um, you know, it's, it's like before we're saved, before we know Christ, we have this account that's deep in the red. We have all this debt in our life, you know, the debt of sin, and we're deep in the right. We'll never be able to pay that uh, debt off, okay? But then we know, and then Jesus comes and says, I will take that debt from you. And so what, when we're way deep in the red with not any hope of getting free of that, Jesus takes it from us. He takes our sins on, on himself. He pays for our sins. And now we have no debt. We're free from that. But too often we stop right there. Hallelujah, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. But the thing is that then God then backs up the truck and dumps into your account all this authority and privilege and resources that you're deeply in the black now because he's the king of the universe and you're his son, you're his daughter. All the resources of heaven are made available to us now. The Bible says we're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. That means we share his throne, this place, of, this position he has for us. And, and all, that, all that inheritance, the scripture uses those words about it, of what we receive, it's not in a trust fund that we just get to tap into once we go to heaven. It's available now. It's available, and we can pray in the name of Jesus and receive uh, the, the promises, uh, the authority that he has for us. It's available now. See, we're royalty. You've been adopted by a king. Uh, Revelation 1 uh, says that uh, he's the one who loved us and freed us from our sins uh, at the cost of his own blood. And he's appointed us uh, to be a kingdom, a kingdom and priest to serve his God forever. First uh, Peter, your chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's who we are. There's an authority that the Lord gives us to walk in this world. See, there, it's just a larger truth than the fact that we're simply forgiven. The truth is we've been made sons and daughters of the, God, of, of the king of the universe, okay? And, and so that's a calling that we need to learn to walk in, that we have this authority. We have this calling. We have this position to walk in. There's, you probably, if you're familiar with Scripture, you, you probably remember a, a moment where Jesus comes up on the disciples, and they're all sitting there talking, and they're, they're arguing about who's going to be greatest, okay? They're arguing about all that, and, and you wonder, where in the world that come from? 
I mean, these guys are just fishermen. You know, there's nothing significant. There's, there's no reason just looking at their position in this world to think that they're significant in some way to be talking about who's going to be greatest. But I would suggest there's something about being in the presence of Jesus that stirs up greatness inside of us. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's, it's being in the presence of the one who says, I want to make you a new person. Okay? And Jesus, well, you know, they're, they're arguing about who's greatest. He doesn't crush that and say, oh, you guys are just being arrogant. He just redirects it. He says, look, guys, um, greatness, the path to greatness is through humility and service. Okay? That's the call he has on us. There's, there are, there are, there are, you know, when you look at the New Testament, there are so many things spoken about the church, about what, what makes a healthy church, what the church should be doing, what the call is on the church. All this, you know, you find that all over the New Testament. However, the, the, the striking thing is, is that Jesus himself in the Gospels uh, really only refers to the church, I think, just two times. And uh, many of you will be familiar, the, the one primary time, the first time he talks about the church is in Matthew chapter 16. And that's that scene where, uh, where his disciples together, I think they're uh, Caesarea Philippi, I think it is. But anyway, uh, he asked them, you know, who do men say that I am? And they ask, answer all these questions. And then finally Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus gets excited and says, blessed are you, Peter, because that wasn't, you know, flesh and blood didn't get that. That was from my father. And he says, on that rock, Peter, I will build my church. I will build my church. Okay, now the word he uses there for church is ecclesia, ecclesia. And the thing is, is that Jesus is pulling this word ecclesia out of a secular setting. Ecclesia really was not a religious term, not describing a religious gathering. It's describing a governmental body, a, a, a group that has governmental authority that impacts culture. See, in the Roman Empire, um, uh, wherever Roman citizens were in, in, the, in the empire, in different cities and villages and so on, the Roman citizens there would form the ecclesia. That was the, uh, the representative government for the Roman Empire. They would represent Roman culture there. They would try to you know, expand Roman influence and the impact of their culture. Uh, they would you know, invoke and enforce Roman law and so on. That was the ecclesia, how the empire was spread throughout the, uh, the Mediterranean. And Jesus uses the term ecclesia. He says um, that... that um, and, you know, I will build my ecclesia. He didn't use the word synagogue. There are other words he could have used. He could have used the word synagogue, which is more reflective of what we experienced on a Sunday morning. You know, people coming together to pray and to read the word and so on. But he, didn't, he chose not to use the word synagogue. He could have used the word temple. Again, kind of the sense of people coming together to worship and so on. But Jesus didn't use the word temple. He chose the word ecclesia, and I think that's telling. I think that's him saying, this is how I understand my people in the world, that I'm giving them authority to represent my kingdom wherever they go, to influence the world around them wherever they go. I will give them authority. The authority of heaven is behind them. The, uh, I will back them up because I want my ecclesia to, to uh, proclaim that my name, to proclaim my rule and reign, that the kingdom of God will come and his will be done, all of that. And, and Jesus goes on in that passage and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. 
that the church isn't supposed to huddle down, but we're supposed to expand the kingdom, and Satan cannot stand against us. Never be afraid of the devil. Never be afraid of demons. They are afraid of you. This morning I said that, that um, if you have an the, end-time theology in which the church kind of cowers behind, uh, you know, in front of the Antichrist, you need to correct your theology. The Antichrist is afraid of us and what we represent in the kingdom of God, the authority we have. And so um, uh, he goes on, he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you, and I've given you the keys of the kingdom. To loose, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I don't fully understand all that, but there's something being bestowed on us as a, as a people of God that gives us authority in this world that's backed up by heaven, Okay? I don't fully understand that, but I'm trying to learn that one because that's powerful stuff. And that's from the mouth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, that's who you are, church. That's who you are. That's what I've bestowed upon you. Of everything he could have said in his first mentions of the church, he goes in that direction. says, that's who you are. The authority I'm giving you. The, 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 the mission and assignment I'm giving you to transform this world. Okay, I'm, uh, let's go back to Ananias. I kind of left him hanging out there. He's kind of waiting to come back in. Um, all right, so, so the story with Ananias, it's, it's really, it wraps up there in chapter 9, except for later here. Uh, in chapter um, uh, 22 of Acts, he appears again. Uh, if, if you know the book of Acts, uh, by this time, by chapter 22, decades have gone by. Uh, Paul has been on, I think, four different missionary journeys. He's impacted you know, the Mediterranean world and planted churches and all this kind of stuff. When you get to like, Acts 20, 21, 22, uh, you have this point where there's a shift in, this, in Paul's life where he's arrested. He's going to be sent to Rome. And along the way, he has these audiences with uh, government officials, with kings, and so on. And two times uh, toward the end of, of the book of Acts, he stands up in front of, uh, uh, of royalty or, or government people and so on, and he gives his story. He tells his testimony, how he came to Jesus, how he came to be who he is. And so in Acts 22, we have a, a, an occasion like that. And, and Paul's uh, talking, he's, he's testifying in front of this, uh, this group. He, sa- he tells them, I persecuted followers of the way to their death, and I was arresting men and women. Uh, I was throwing them in prison. I hated the church. I was against it. I opposed it. I resisted it. I was their enemy. All of that. I had letters and, and authority from the, the chief priest back in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and just to, to carry on this destruction of, of the people of Jesus. And then he tells, but then at noon, as I was near Damascus on the road, this bright light came. I fell to the ground. Uh, this voice came saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. And, and uh, uh, what should I do? Uh, go into the city. He's taken the city. And he, he talks about how I was led into Damascus blind, you know, just ashamed and, and shaken up and all this kind of stuff. And then he says this. At that point, he says, a man named Ananias came to see me. My friend Ananias came to me in that moment. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. 
and you will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So that all kind of fills in some filler about what Ananias did that we read about back in Acts 9. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. And here's, here's I hope, a takeaway for us is this, is that look now how Ananias has a place in Paul's story. I want to have a place in lots of stories because I want to be used by the Lord to impact people for Jesus Christ. And I think you do too. When we get to heaven, I want to have lots of stories where I had a role in it. Not out of pride or anything, but out of response to the living God that says, go and make disciples. I want to have a place in the story of other people. When I was uh, a senior in high school, my best friend um, he was a believer, and I wasn't following Christ, and he, uh, he took the risk to step out and invite me into uh, Christian uh, meetings and camp and, and, and spoke about Christ to me. He took the risk of, of our friendship you know, going south or souring or, or diminishing because I could have responded that way. But he, he, said, you know, he had the guts to go ahead and bring up uh, my, my need for Jesus and all that. And I'm so thankful he did. Uh, we, we're in touch. To, I mean, that was, you know, that was, that was 17. That's probably 20 years ago, man. It was a long time ago. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still in touch. I mean, we, 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 we fire back far side cartoons all the time and everything. But anyway, I, I regularly tell, man, I don't know where I'd be today if you hadn't done that. I am so thankful you stepped up and, and took the risk uh, to bring me to Jesus. I really am. And, um, you know, just imagine with me, just kind of wrapping this thing up. Um, just imagine with me. You know, the Bible talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb. When everything is, you know, the, the, the ages come to an end and, and the kingdom of God is established on earth and Jesus is Lord of all. And then it talks about this marriage feast of the Lamb. It's the thing we're kind of pointing to whenever we take communion, that kind of thing. The picture in the scriptures, you know, if we can fill in the gaps, you see this is a huge gathering of all the people of God. And it's a great party. And it's, it's you know, we're being reunited with one another. And we're just, oh, look at you. I'm so glad to see you. You know, just imagine that, all right? Because right? that's, that's, I think that's the image. At least I think it aligns with scripture. Just this, this incredible, this feast, and we're all together, and we're celebrating, we're so amazed at, at what God's done for us, and, and everything that's happening, and, and as the, 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 the time progresses in this, I think there will become a time for, now it's the time for the great stories, where, where the People start coming up on the platform and, and telling the stories, the stories we all want to hear. Man, Moses tells again what it's like to, to have the burning bush, okay? You know, and so he's up, he's telling his story, and Noah's up there, and Esther's up, you know, all these people are up there. Paul comes up, okay? I'm going to share my story now. He talks about how he, you know, hated Jesus and persecuted the church, and then Jesus saved him, and, and then he's going to say, you know, how he went to Damascus. He's going to say, I was in such shame. I was just so broken. But then my friend Ananias came. And he's going to say, Ananias, come up to the platform here. <laughs> and he's going to honor him before everyone. He's just going to say, Ananias, I'm so thankful that you had the guts to come find me. I'm so thankful that you obeyed the prompting of the Lord. I don't know where I'd be today if you had not done this. And all of us, we're going to cheer and yell, way to go, Ananias. You're awesome. I want to be a part of other people's stories. Not for the cheering stuff, but just 
just, that's what God wants. There's so many people who don't know Jesus. They're orphans out there. And he wants us to reach out. I, I have, um, um, I got this Wednesday. Uh, a, a few, uh, a month or two ago, Harry and I were on, walking on the, on the trail out by East Peoria. And, and we ran into a couple there. And, and um, God, just by a, a variety of things, uh, there's a young couple that we ran into. And, and, and we ended up getting connected again later. And it turns out they're going through a really hard time. And, and, and just by just things got orchestrated by the Lord, where now I was meeting with this, this guy on a regular basis. And on Wednesday, we got together and, and uh, just discipling. He believes now and so on. And, but as, as we're, uh, he's going through a real tough time right now, and I was praying for him, and he, he couldn't talk because uh, he's so choked up. So he took the sleeve off his coffee, uh, uh, coffee cup and said, thank you for loving me, wrote on there. I want to be a part of people's stories, and so do you, so do you.